Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you, so good to be with you this morning. As uh, you might know, I am Pastor Gray's son, Pastor Brad. I serve up in Paxinos, Pennsylvania, as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church. And uh, yes, uh, being here this morning and for this weekend has been especially uh, pretty awesome, just seeing all these uh, familiar faces and old friends and people who weren't old a long time ago, but now feel old now. Uh, but it's really fun to, uh, to be here this morning. Uh, I'll echo Caleb's sentiments just in the fact that uh, This church is home. Uh, I count myself among the very luckiest. Uh, Some people um, go through their lives and they don't really have a church that they can call home, that they can really sink their teeth into, so to speak. I myself count myself lucky because I think I have three. Uh, There's a church in Florida that was super formative for my wife and I when we lived in Florida, Jupiter, in Jupiter, Florida, Beacon Baptist Church that I call home. Uh, of course, my church home in, in uh, Pennsylvania is my new church home, but this, this church always holds a special place in my heart. Uh, it's the place I grew up in. Me and Caleb have a lot of memories. Uh, grew up here, uh, was uh, called to the ministry here, and uh, whenever I come back here, it's always uh, just like I'm stepping back into something that's uh, very familiar and very comfortable. So uh, I'll save all my mushy stuff for the end, though. Um, Let me get to the word. Uh, Take your Bibles, turn to Joshua. I want to take you to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Uh, Find Deuteronomy and the next book, the sixth book of your Old Testament, the book of Joshua, which is a really fascinating book. Uh, The book of Joshua is just laid out really interestingly, because if you were to read chapters 1 through 12, you would be really invigorated, really interested, perhaps, and really entertained. Uh, Chapters 1 through 12 has like all of your old familiar stories that you are just in love with in terms of all your Sunday school days. The the people of Israel crossing the Jordan from the defeat of the the city of Jericho to that awesome moment in Joshua chapter 10 where the sun stands still so God's people can get the victory. It's all exciting stuff. Except when you turn to actually this morning's text, Joshua chapter 13. Where from Joshua 13, basically through uh, chapter 22, we basically get just a brief of real estate and how it's supposed to be divvied up amongst the tribes of the people of Israel. Not exactly, you know, edge of your seat, page turning stuff. (laughs) You know, this tribe gets this land, this tribe gets that land, and so on and so forth. In fact, as chapter 13 begins, God actually sounds... A little less than impressed with all of the victories that Joshua and the people of Israel have been racking up. Notice verse number 1, Joshua 13.1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. And there remains yet very much land to possess. I should caveat this. That is not my application to my dad this morning. I knew... I was taking a risk when I went here. That's not the application. Just wait for that a second. But I'll let you run with that if you want to. Um, But I find it interesting, this message to Joshua, as he's here and he's receiving this message from God, because for as invincible as God's people seemed... If you read all those other chapters, what what do you see? They cannot be stopped. 
The people of God just rack up victory after victory, conquest after conquest. And then God does something amazingly unexpected right here in this moment where he comes up to Israel's captain and he reminds him of what? His frailty and his feebleness and the unfinished business that lies ahead of him. Hey, Joshua, guess what? Yeah, you've gotten a lot of victories, but you're old now. There's still more stuff for you to do. How's that for a pat on the back? And again, put yourself in Joshua's shoes. After all that you've seen, all the victories you've accomplished, all the things you've witnessed by the side of Moses all of those years. And now you're, you're nearing the, your twilight years and God has the gall to tell you that there's more to do. <laughs> I'd have a hard time hearing something like that if I were in Joshua's position. Aren't my accomplishments... Enough? Haven't I done enough, God? Haven't you seen all the things that we've accomplished? Haven't you seen all the things that we have achieved? And yet for all of Joshua's triumphs, God tells him there's more to be done. There's more progress to be made. This definitely wouldn't put me in the best of moods. It's like digging any size hole for any sort of thing that you want to put in the ground. (laughs) You dig. And you check the measurement, it's still not enough. (laughs) And you dig for what seems like six more hours, and you've probably made it about six centimeters. And you keep trying to dig and dig. It doesn't seem like it's enough. How can there be more? And I think the whole point of this is this, is that this message to Joshua, I think, is to demonstrate that God's plans and his purposes, not just for his people, but for the world, are not tied to any one single individual. And that's really good news. Notice verses 2 through 7. Notice what he does. This is God's message. There's much land to possess. Verse 2. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites from Shiloh, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines. Those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. And those of the... Of, um, in the south, and in the land of the Canaanites, and in the Merah that belongs to the Sidonians, and the Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gebelites, and all of Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baalgad, below Mount Hermon to Lebohamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Mishrib Fafmaim, sorry, even all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them. Out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for all in inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So all those weird names that you could have trouble pronouncing. What is it supposed to tell us? That's God is identifying all these different regions that are awaits for Israel. These are the places that Israel has yet to possess. They've crossed into the promised land, but they haven't possessed all of it yet. And basically from here to the end of chapter 21, what God does is he details how they can start divvying it up. But I think that's the whole point. He's detailing how they can divvy up the lands that they haven't yet possessed yet. It's almost as if it's already done. It's almost as if God was giving them a promise that this land was already theirs before they had even lifted a finger, a pinky finger, and towards occupying it. God's speaking to them as if it's as good as theirs. Go ahead and start planning. 
Go ahead and start allotting. Go ahead and start divvying these up. You know, you're always told not to count your chickens before they hatch, except with God. Because his promises are that sure. They are that sure. Again, notice verse 6, that awesome phrase, I myself will drive them out. I'm going to do it. Don't worry about it. Don't fret, Joshua. And this is not the first time he's received this promise. In Joshua chapter 10 and verse 8, Joshua chapter 11 verse 6, both of those are promises. On the eve of battle, what is, what is the message that Joshua gets? Don't worry, I'm going to wipe out this army. You're going to defeat them as if they were one person. <laughs> over and over again, Joshua is given this amazing promise that his victory and the people of God's victory was guaranteed. And Israel's future was secure, not because of the competency of their captain, but because of the faithfulness of their God. That's what made them sure. That's what made them secure. You see, like Joshua, there's never going to come a day on this side of eternity when we can say, man, mission accomplished. I've done it. Until Jesus returns, the Great Commission will always be a commissioning that remains unfinished and incomplete. And I think that's really strange. That God gives us a charge that will forever be unrealized on this side of eternity. But the promise given to Joshua is the same one that's given to us. Is that God's plans and purposes for this world are not dependent upon us. They're dependent upon Him. And that's what keeps us moving Keeps us going, keeps us moving forward and pressing on in this life of faith that is often a life of struggle. It's termed a a pilgrimage for that reason because it's often fraught with lots of tumultuous seasons. But the point is, we can press forward in faith. Why? Because we know that God is completely sovereign over all of his work. His plans and his purposes are unstoppable. No matter what occurs in this life, his plans are unstoppable. His word will go forth even if we don't. Heaven and earth might pass away, but as Jesus says, my word never will. Generations after we are all gone, the plans that God has put into motion before the foundation of the world will still be true. You know, that's the, to me, uh, that's the hope for me whenever I see uh, a, a church with padlocked doors. That could make you really sad. There used to be a, 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 an old Episcopal church near me in Pennsylvania, and it was turned into a coffee shop. And it had this really weird atmosphere. It's kind of awesome, but kind of weird, too, because you're sad, because you're sitting in a sanctuary. You can still see the lines where the pews were <laughs> as you're sipping your latte. Just imagining who used to pass through that congregation. But then by the same token, I'm also rejoicing. Because just because this church closes doesn't mean that the work of God is going to stop suddenly. God's work goes forth. Because his work and his promises aren't tied to one single individual. We are just invited to get to rejoice in the victory that he's already guaranteed us and he gifts to us in grace. You see, all these tedious chapters of Joshua, you know what they are actually? 
They're a resume to the faithfulness of God. Because when you get to the end of them, notice what happens in Joshua 21. Listen to these amazing words. Joshua 21, look at verse 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers. Promises fulfilled. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. (laughs) That's... The true epitaph of what it means to be faithful. Why can we be faithful? Because God's word never fails. Amen. And it's not dependent upon our faithfulness. It's dependent upon him being faithful to his promises to us. Yes. And that's why we can be faithful. We can be faithful because that's how sure the promises are. This is kind of what we're doing this morning. My dad has said earlier. I don't want this day to be about me and all that stuff. We should. We should take a moment and reflect and pause for 25 years of ministry in a church that's rather unheard of. That's no small feat. 25 years of ministry is a quarter of a century. That's a 25 years of rejoicing, but also 25 years of tears. 25 years of victories and 25 years of defeats. And Lord knows I've been there for some of those. You see, what we're really celebrating this morning is, yes, my dad's faithfulness and this church's faithfulness to him and vice versa. But really what we're celebrating is the faithfulness of God. No matter what is in front of us, no matter how tumultuous it might seem, no matter how unsure God keeps us going because his faithfulness never tires. It never relents. It never ceases. It never stops. The old commentator Charles Bridges, he says, his faithfulness, not ours, must be our confidence. And truly, I think that is true. That is so. We can sing, great is thy faithfulness. (laughs) And we can mean it. Because God's words never fail. They never fall to the ground. They never stop short of what he has said that they are going to do. You know, I've I've only been in church ministry for four years. And I've already seen a lot of ups and a lot of downs. I've already had my faithfulness put to the test. And it makes me, it makes me truly appreciative of the fact that what gets anyone out of bed in the morning, let alone to come to a church, as Pastor Caleb mentioned, where sometimes people might bite you, is the fact that God is faithful. And we're going to receive those words, well done. Not because we have achieved something, but because we have lived faithfully in the calling that God has given us. 
And we can do so, so joyfully. We can do so freely. Why? Because God's word is that sure. Oh, I wish I could take you to all these different places. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just mention this really quickly. Why, Genesis 15. <laughs> I just preached about this. Genesis 15 is so awesome. God has given the promise to Abraham. You're going to have blessings. The blessings are going to come out of you. Many nations are going to come from your line. And the whole world is going to be blessed through you. And how does he confirm that promise? <laughs> well, he takes him to this place and they cut a bull in half. Which is a sign. If you were going to make a covenant, make a pact, make an agreement, let's say. You cut a bull in half and you have both parties walk through. And you would say, uh, basically to say, uh, let be done to me what was done to this bull if I break this promise. And who's the only one that walks through the bull in Genesis 15? It's the Lord. The Lord swears on himself that the promises to Abraham are going to be true. That's how sure the promises are for us. That's why we can be faithful. We can press on in defeats and victories. We can say, God, you got the victory. In defeats, we can say, God, you are with me. We can say all of that because God is faithful. It might sound like an old, tired song, but it's not. It's the lifeblood of the church. It's the lifeblood of every Christian that God is faithful. Let us pray.